And we're good. Welcome back, everyone, to the It's Always Something podcast. My name is MK. I'm joined here with the regular group of Donia, Iman, and some of our interns that we have who love to jump into discussion as well. Today, we have a great guest with us. We have Dr. O in the building, aka over Zoom. And um, also, she's also known as the Teen Doc. So I'm going to let Dr. O introduce herself and tell us who she is. Thanks. So yes, I am Dr. O, short for Ogantala. Um, I am a medical doctor who specialized in um, pediatrics and then subspecialized in adolescent medicine. So I just see that teen 13 to 26 age range and love that group. Um, and so what I've been doing is essentially as you start to do medicine, you start to realize that decisions about medicine are based on emotional stuff and so you start to merge some other stuff in and you realize um few teens love to go see a therapist but they don't mind seeing a doctor and so if i could merge the two then i become all clever see that's how i did that <laughs> so that's what i do <laughs> all right that's well me. thank you so much dr o for being here and taking okay. the time to speak with us um, I think I kind of just want to ask you, why personally did you want to focus on, on teens, like specifically, like out of all the other ages, like why teens specifically? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think, you know, probably when I was in high school, I thought I would do geriatric medicine and um, just because I thought that was a cool bunch too. But um, then as I started um, going through the prereqs at, at Cal, there's a woman who came in and she just embodied for me like coolness, like a doctor and coolness. Like she was a combination of like Whoopi Goldberg and like, you know, and I just went, oh yeah, like these people are the rock stars of medicine. I'm like, this is where I'm gonna be. And so it just occurred to me that if you think about all the, all the marks in your life where you can make a change and then have that change, right? Just like you're at a fork in a road if there is one point in your life that you can actually, because you acquire some knowledge or acquire some insight, literally change the course of your life, that's adolescence. So that's where, I, that's why I'm there. Because that's where I feel I can make the biggest impact. So. Also, what do you, since you focus on teens, and I know there's a lot of kind of misconceptions about teens, like from adults and parents and stuff like that. What do you so, think is kind of like the biggest misconception with, you know, doing the health of teens? Um, I would say that the biggest misconception from parents is that um, they think that their job is to prevent you from making bad choices, right? So I don't want my kid to be sexually active, right? Um, I don't want them to do drugs. And I've definitely heard that like when I'm teaching classes for parents, how do I prevent my child from doing drugs? How do I prevent my child from hanging around the wrong people? And so they think that because it's a very elimination type of mentality, meaning if you do this, I'm going to give you a consequence of taking something away. And that way I can change your behavior. But that is a very reactive way of parenting. And so my thing is that instead of reacting, you should be more curious. And if you were more curious, then you would ask, why would my teen do that? 
right? If you focus on the why, that's when you actually get to what the hurt is, what the pain is, how the interaction may not be making them feel good about themselves. And when you can get to that, oh my God, the behavior makes so much sense. Like it's not even worth addressing it, you know? Um, a case in point is I, I had a patient I was working with and um, she had recently been sexually assaulted. And so she was um, self-harming, cutting. And so the parents were like, you know, this was you know horrifying for me. And, you know, I just thought like, I walked in there to just see how she was in the morning and there was like blood all over the sheets and everything. And, you know, I'm, looking at her really calm. And I said, I just like, I was so scared. And I said, well, I, I feel like you're associating self-harm with suicidality. And that is not what self-harm is. You know, this is, this is a young lady who's sexually assaulted. I'm sure she's having conflict with her body. That's what I think with the self-harm. So really you have to think about if she's having a conflict with what her body has been through or what her body is, then really what's happening is that part of her is protecting her by saying, um, I understand you're angry at your body. I'm gonna help you control how you're angry so that you don't do something more reckless, right? When you understand the why, my God, like you, you don't tell her, stop doing that. What you do is you help her understand and have compassion for what she went through right? That younger version, if you will, of who, who she was when she went through that. And through that compassion, actually, she was actually able to decrease the self-harm. So when I talked to her, like, you know, a couple of weeks later, I said, how's your self-harm doing? And she said, you know, actually, I haven't self-harmed in a couple of weeks, you know? And so all of that becomes, I, I think that because we're so reactive, we end up saying, okay, in order to prevent that, I'm going to take everything out of your room and I'm going to make sure like your hands are all, you know, like change to the thing while you're sleeping and all this stuff. And that's, that's not, you know, everything that I try and do is led with um, loving compassion, which sounds incredibly hokey, but um, it actually works. We are more likely to work hard. We are more likely to try. We are more likely to endure our failure when there is love and compassion at the root of why we didn't quite make it out. When we are harsh with ourselves, it doesn't work. We think it works because the fear kind of gives us an adrenaline rush, but that just like sugar, it's up and then it's down, right? And then what it does is it sets off this chain reaction where we increase the cortisol, increase the heart rate, increase the blood pressure. It sets off a pro-inflammatory process in our bodies, which we know long-term sets us up for heart disease and diabetes and all these Alzheimer's, breast cancer. But in the short term, what it does is as your heart rate goes up, nobody thinks rationally with a heart rate above 90 beats per minute. So when you think about being taking an exam or meeting somebody or at an interview and you're in this cortisol state, good luck. You know what I mean? That's not going to work. But if you can understand what's happening to you and you can actually say to yourself, you know what? You did your best studying. I know this is hard material for you. We'll just see what we learned. You know, we'll just see what we learned. Worst case scenario, we'll go back. We'll do an autopsy on the exam. We'll ask if we can retake it. If we can't retake it, we'll just get a tutor for the next time, depending on what happened, right? That state, those kind words, what they actually do is release oxytocin 
Oxytocin is what gets secreted when the, the baby is suckling on the breast. It's what gets secreted when you get a hug. It's what gets secreted when you have an orgasm. It's the hormone that allows the baby to come out of the mom, right? Because the last thing you want is that baby coming out and that baby meet that mom and that mom is like, ah! like right? right? You, want, you want love and compassion when you come out of the baby, right? So that's what makes the mom go, give me my baby, right? And put, put them on her chest, right? The very opposite effect if she's in a cortisol state, right? And when you see moms who have been treated harshly while they're delivering, they can't see the baby they turn away from the baby, right? And so these become the early steps of, you know, disconnection. And so it doesn't do anything to treat yourself like that. And so if you can think of that, right, being compassionate and loving towards self, right, that's where we start to get to that self-love, which I think is a, a, bit, a bigger category than people say, but like just the superficial, it's how you speak to yourself and that kindness allows your heart rate to come down, the blood pressure to come down. You can think much more rationally. You take in way more of the environment and you're able to pick up on cues that you can't pick up on when you're in that high cortisol state. So yeah, that's why I do it that way. Mm -hmm. I just, if I could just say something really quick, I know we've talked a lot about anxiety in this group and, and how we cope with that. And I think what you've described is um, such a beautiful way to address it. And so I, I just want to thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. So that's why even if you can be mindful through the day of the thoughts that you're having, and when you're saying, oh, I'm so stupid. No, I'm not stupid. I People make mistakes and I made one. <laughs> and so I know what I did and now I can do it correctly. We never learned when we do things perfectly. We learn when we make mistakes. <laughs> that's what they're there for. And so that's that's the self-soothing, calming behavior, right? And so that's a concept that I even so much so, even in my parenting, my kids would, you know, sometimes we'd hear one of us say like, oh, why did I do that? Da, da, da. It's like, what? And it's like, right, 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 right. Because I'm human. <laughs> like, how could I have known, right? And so that's that's the beauty of that. That if I can teach it to my kids, they get to hold me accountable for the words that I use, right? If I can teach it to my clients, if I can teach it to my patients, they can hold me accountable during the visit, right? And sure enough, in the beginning of a visit, I can have a kid say sorry every two minutes, and by the end, they're catching themselves saying I'm sorry and going, wait, why am I sorry? I go, yeah, I want people to apologize for the Holocaust, for slavery, not for kicking the table. Come on, <laughs> why are you apologizing for that? You know, and so then it puts it in context for them, you know? Yeah, I think that's really true with what you said about earlier about understanding the problems. Cause I had, um, I know like a few years ago, I like really like middle school age, I had problems with like depression personally, just because school was rough and everything like that. And I feel like it was hard for like, you know, you know, parents try to support you, but it's like, they don't kind of get it. They're like, you should be fine. You're young. And, you know, they use those type of things. And it's like, no, some things just affect people. So I really agree. Like, if I had people to like talking is really important. And I really yeah. wish, you know, parents would just, you know, be like, hey, it's okay, you're trying your right. best, you know, right. and stuff like that. Yeah. So I totally agree. 
And if I can even just help you understand in that moment, and because this is something that happens, um, you're describing middle school and you remember it. But if I can help you understand the magnitude of what you actually just said, um, when we are really tiny, like six months, 18 months, we say things to our parents. Um, a classic example is kids will get shots, right? When I'm in the clinic, I'll hear kids get shot. Um, nobody likes to get shots, really. I mean, well, there are some people, but you know, <laughs> most people don't like to get shots, okay? These kids will get shots and they'll cry like a, a heaving cry, right? Like, oh my God, oh my God, it hurts, it hurts so much. And what you'll hear a parent say is, it didn't hurt, you're okay. Let's go get something to eat. And what I want you to pick up on is when I say it hurts, when I say it hurts, it is my body. I need you to validate my experience because that's what helps me feel like you get me, like you connect with me. When you tell me I'm not feeling what I'm feeling, you set off a pattern of me never knowing what I'm feeling. And then I always have to look to others to validate my experience and tell me what my experience is. This is the root of anxiety because now you can't trust yourself. Does that make sense? And so yeah. that's really the process of what happens. So really when somebody says, I'm struggling, I know I've gotten A's before, but like stuff is changing and it's getting harder. And I don't know if they were really right about whether or not I was smart before. I'm really doubting whether or not I was smart. So now the stuff is getting harder. I don't know if I can make it, right? What they need, what any kid needs to hear in that moment is, I totally hear that you're scared. I totally hear it. And you know what? It does not matter what those grades are. All I want you to do is be honest about the learning, okay? We're just gonna figure out how you learn. What was happening before was that the information was kind of like point and shoot. You memorize, you give it back. Now what they're doing because your brain is getting more complicated is they're giving it to you in a much more complicated context. And so you don't know how to do that. <laughs> You're supposed to be learning how to do that. So that's all I need you to do this year. Learn how to learn. That's all I need you to do. I don't need the grades. I just need you to learn how to learn. Okay. And so once you figure that out for yourself, you'll do great later. Okay. That is a very different validating experience than, oh my God, you're so worried about outcome. I'll be fine. What if I'm not fine? What if my grades go down? What if you no longer think I'm smart? That's what sets off all the worry. Okay. So that's a big deal is validating somebody's experience. And, you know, if there were something that I could really help teens understand when you're even talking to a friend that the thing that they need more than anything is the validation of their experience. So telling somebody, I can hear how much that hurt you. Not like what happened to a, uh, another client where her sexual assault ended up um, being in such a way that her fight was playing possum. So there's fight, flight, freeze. And in fight, flight, you're going to be throwing punches and fighting and everything. We recognize that as fighting. But in freeze, we are still. We play possum. And so just like an animal that looks dead so that it won't be eaten, 
that is our fight. And if you don't know that, you will judge that. And that's what leads to the shame of judging yourself, right? Because it's like, I didn't put up a fight. I didn't say something. I didn't do something. But what happens is sometimes the thing to do is to say nothing, is to do nothing. And that is still fighting, right? And so that's how you really start to understand validating somebody's experience helps them feel what Dan Siegel says, feel felt, like you get me, right? I'm not so abnormal, unusual, so so alien that I am not understood by someone else. And that's the thing that leads to us feeling like we are not good enough, right? Okay. Tell me if the answers are too long. I can narrow it down. Okay. Um, so many, I think the older generation um, or mostly um, people that are not used to anxiety or depression because it doesn't happen to them. I hear, um, you know, what are you scared of if you have anxiety? What are you like depressed about? Even if you have like the so-called amazing life and sometimes it makes someone like feel trapped. How do we change the older generation to help the younger generation that's dealing with that? Because this generation is dealing with the most like anxiety and depression. I know so many people that have it. How do we have the older generation helping us as like younger generation and the generation younger than us? Got it. Um, and so, and when you add immigration to that, whoa, whoa, you know? Because when you're coming from another country where your survival depended on working at 13, you know, not going to school and being treated like an adult at such a young age, what ends up happening is your pain does not ever get processed. So what you do is you do something called compartmentalize. That means that you essentially take that pain, you put it in a little container and you act like it doesn't exist. So one of the things that I wanna gently challenge you on is that the older generation doesn't have anxiety and depression. Who do you think set you up for it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So if we start there, right? That they did have it, they do have it. What happened was when you are so focused on survival because you just emigrated to this country, you don't know anybody, you don't speak the language, you don't have a job, you don't know where you're gonna live, you're homeless. When you're working on that, the last thing you can think of is the fact that I'm sad, I'm lonely. So what they did was they suppressed it and a part of them took over that said survive. A little like factoid is something called Maslow's hierarchy of um, skills. What we know is that until you feel safe, you don't have the space to acknowledge that you have anxiety. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I came from a very traditional Arab family. And when I was growing up, it's not okay to say you have anxiety or having depression. It's known as like, you're crazy if you take therapy. I yep. hear all the time. Um, we argue with like my aunts that say like anxiety and mental health, those kind of things are not real huh? or stuff. And when you argue with them, it's like about, or like talk to them about how it's normal to have anxiety and depression. Um, 
they it's like an insult to say someone has like anxiety depression it's like you're calling them crazy yeah or if someone is dealing with a re- severe depression or anxiety they just call them like they're they're not in their right mind like Correct. they're they'll use the word crazy they don't really help mm-hmm. they just hurt it even more mm-hmm. so how do we like as young people because of our podcast and stuff how do we help educate people that do not understand anxiety and depression from our own family or how to tell them like if someone has it it's not they're not crazy got it so one of the things that I said before is that I want parents to be more curious and less reactive so watch what we do right now okay if I were talking to somebody and because so often I'm the person who has to say this to someone right which is usually that older generation you're talking to yeah (laughs) as I tried to explain to a Brazilian mom the other day about why her daughter should be on birth control even though she's not sexually active are you saying she's sexually active I go I never mentioned the word sex at all in what I was saying I don't know where you're going (laughs) okay um is that what you want to first do is be present right because when you're arguing because you're trying to defend who you are your heart rate goes up and then you don't become in your right mind all right so that's one two then you can really see who you're seeing you're talking to and then what you will start to see is that they are not arguing with you are you with themselves they are defending themselves yeah you got it yeah why would somebody fight you so hard if what you were saying wasn't reminding them of how they felt and so because you're looking at it from the perspective of they are fighting me you don't see them saying you're bringing up something very difficult for me And I don't want to see myself as crazy. So they use you to project it onto and say, you're crazy. Because that's what they said to themselves. And it just allows you to understand why they need to say that. Because somebody told them it was associated with weakness. That's why they never said anything. And that's why they don't want you saying anything. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. You have your hand up. Yeah, I know earlier you mentioned that you help students or your patients catch their thoughts and understand um, things that they may be doing um, either that they think is wrong or that they're unsure of, or they're just, they think they are, that there are mistakes and there are mistakes that they shouldn't make. What exercises do you do with them to self-soothe, to catch these thoughts, to learn to validate their own feelings, emotions, potential wrongdoings that are not actually wrong, but actually uh, moments of learning Mm -hmm. Um, as we're growing up and a community that doesn't really welcome mental health um, wellness. Mm-hmm. That uh, we were taught not to 
we were not validated our we were taught not to validate ourselves but to rely on others for validation how how what exercise do you have to for students or clients to self-soothe yeah so really good question um you know we hear about meditation and and you know mindfulness and all those things and i'm gonna i'm i'm of the belief of that you cannot ask people to do anything you are not willing to do yourself and um I am not really good at sitting there with my legs crossed going home and I'm just not good at it. <laughs> but what I was good at was um, learning something and then reminding myself of that lesson all day long. So for example, I read the four agreements and the first agreement was to be impeccable with your word, right? And so I said, okay, being impeccable with your word is this. I could remember that all day. I could look for everything that I said, I could use, I could quiz myself by listening to what other people said, by watching a TV show, by looking at a commercial, by um, listening to the news and noticing that, huh, this woman just said this incident happened and she did not mention the fact that the Native Americans were part of that movement. Like how interesting, like on this channel they did, but on this channel they did not, right? Then I could hear the word impeccability everywhere, right? And by practicing that, it gave me a mindfulness. I understand that's hard for some people. So what I have often recommended to um, a lot of the patients and clients that I work with is uh, something called a walking meditation, because I also thought this was cool, which is um, instead of just being on autopilot and going wherever you're going to pay attention to how your foot feels hitting the floor as you're walking. So whether it's in shoes or barefoot or in socks or just however your feet feel hitting the ground, if you can focus on something safe, what it starts to do is actually quiet the mind. So you get these brief moments of calm. And as you start getting these brief moments of calm and you start practicing it with mindful eating, right? Focusing on how the food feels in your mouth, right? Rather than hurrying it up and shoveling it in and chewing it and swallowing it, oh, it's done. And you don't even know the food is done because you're like eating so fast, right? Um, so those things just allow you to slow down a little bit. Um, I've asked people to do, um, extending it to, since they were doing so much sitting during the pandemic, focus on how your butt feels on that seat, right? You know, it's like actually focus on how it feels. Like, are is it getting warm? Do you feel like it's so warm that it feels like you peed on yourself? Like, do you need to move around? Like, is the chair squeaky? Like all those things allow you to kind of focus in on something. And that way you can have moments of calm, right? And so what those things do is it allows your mind to be quiet and be able to focus on how you're feeling not in a moment that's scary, like a panic attack, but in a moment that's really calm already. And that is how you start to notice there are actual shifts happening in my body that are actually trying to communicate to me. And so another thing that I'll do is while I'm talking to somebody, um, if I notice they're particularly anxious when I'm talking and they don't hear it because they're so used to being in that state, I'll say, hey, could you do me a favor and can you check in with your body? I want you to do a body scan um, from head to toe and just tell me what you feel. Is there a part of your body that feels a little bit more energy than another part? And, and tell me how that's feeling, right? And very frequently as we talk about that, 
I'll check in again, 15 minutes later, check in again, 15 minutes later. And by the end, they'll go, it doesn't feel as tight. It doesn't feel. And I'd say, you know, did you notice that? I didn't notice it. And I wouldn't have noticed it had you not asked me to check in, right? Those are the things that if you don't, if you're not aware that there are times when you're okay, you forget. And so you think you're always in a state of distress, you know? And so just even that kind of reassurance allows you to check in with yourself in a way to know, no, there are moments that I'm calm. When am I calm? Who am I around? Who am I talking to? What am I doing? And that's what allows you to know, oh, I was not calm when I left the conversation with so-and-so, when I had to do this thing with so-and-so. That's how you start to surround yourself with people who keep you in a calm state versus people who put you in an agitated state. Because we will gravitate towards what's familiar, if that makes sense. So if what we're familiar with is somebody speaking poorly to us, we will gravitate to that group of people because it is familiar. Not because it feels good, but because it just reminds us of what is familiar. And that familiarity is what we call love. And that's why oftentimes the people we date are not people who we love, but people who we love how they make us feel. And what they are making us feel is something that reminds us of how it felt in the home, whether that's good or bad. Right? That makes sense. I have a question. Yeah. Um, what about like, what are your ideas on like intrusive thoughts? Cause like, I struggle with that a lot. Like, like I just do it to mess with myself sometimes. That's how I feel. I don't know. Yeah. I, I would have a little more compassion than that. That kind of sounds like judgment there. <laughs> like, like, because it's uh, if you think about it, um, this would be an awareness thing as well. My hunch is that you're having an intrusive thought when something is happening to you that you don't feel safe. So for example, if you were gonna think of something or if you were drifting towards thinking of something that either didn't make you feel safe, didn't make you feel good, reminded you of a time where you didn't feel good enough or you felt alone, then the intrusive thought becomes a savior to take you away from the drift so that you can focus on something that is a little more tangible, a little more comfortable, a little safe, you know? Does that make sense? Kind of, kind of. So give me an example. Well, if you're comfortable, uh, I would say, give me an example of uh, an intrusive thought. Like when I'm doing schoolwork and like a memory just pops up out of nowhere, like, oh, I did this. I, um, oh my God, I remember when I, piss my pants in first grade or something like that mm -hmm. and like it just it just like gets me like gives me like anxiety of the time where yeah I piss my pants or something got it and so and when you're doing the schoolwork are you doing schoolwork that you're enjoying or is it like a class that's a little more boring or challenging Actually, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure I was bored or something. Got it. Or like just not into the class. Got it. And so when you think of a class that you're not into, how do you feel when you're in a class that isn't really stimulating you? Is it making you feel whatever? Is it making you feel energetic? Is it making you feel smart? Is it making you feel like you're using your skill set? How does that make you feel?
Did I make did I make sense or did I lose you? Uh my connection's really bad. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Um my I'll I'll do this then so you don't so I don't waste the airtime then. Um is my hunch is that if you're in a class that makes you feel bored, it's not making you feel engaged. And if you're not engaged, then what ends up happening is there's a part of you that really would like your attention. And if you think about it, the younger you, right? Let's say you're in second grade, you're roughly around seven, seven, eight years old, maybe. Um, what ends up happening is the moment that happens and nobody consoles you or makes you feel like you're okay for it, it means that it's a feeling of not being good enough in that moment. It's a feeling of being separated from others and not being like others. And so being bored in a class that isn't stimulating you is another feeling of why don't, why isn't this engaging to me? Like, why is this not, you know, something that I can stay with? Why can't I focus? And so you can see the same harshness that somebody would give the same judgment, the same criticism, the same shaming in each situation. And so what ends up happening is because it's such a reminder that younger version of you inside you says, I need, I need some compassion from you. I need you to tell me I'm okay, that I am good enough, that I am lovable, that I matter. Because it's such a feeling of worthlessness and shame remembering that if you don't actually take the time to focus on that little kid inside of you, it ends up wanting your attention so badly, you really actually can't think of anything else. Does, does that make sense for everybody, what I'm saying? Okay. Yes, makes sense to me. Okay, cool, excellent. Because I always worry that that's a tough concept, but um, really you, your past is never your past. It's, it's always right in the moment until you process it. You have to actually integrate it into who you are. And if you don't integrate those parts into who you are, you essentially separate them and that is why we walk around feeling like we're in pieces, like we're not grounded, like we're not in our bodies. That's dissociation, that's compartmentalization. And so it's hard to really know what you feel, what you think, what your beliefs are. So it makes it hard to ask a question, answer a question, it makes it hard to make a decision. It makes it hard to believe you're making an accurate decision for yourself. You'll hem and haw a lot or avoid or procrastinate because you don't know, you don't know what you want to do because you're not sure because, and that's usually a sign that there, there are things going on inside of you that you've separated into such so many pieces that you're not, you're not actually thinking with your whole self. You need your whole self because all of the incidences you've been through will help you inform the situation so that you can make the best decision for yourself. But when you have eliminated parts at random that you feel are not good enough, that are not worthy, because you don't want to be associated with those parts of you, then you're not coming with the full deck. You're only coming with the parts that you deem appropriate for other people's approval. But that's not the way we function. We need to be integrated spirits. All right. Um, do you think social media has a big part between um, for younger the like people our age or older people too with their mental health? Does it play a big part? 
Yes, and I will say that it can play a big part either way, right? Like you heard me asking my daughter to add, like follow somebody who was a social justice leader, right? Like that's not gonna give the same effect as if she's following somebody who's uh, two, two inches taller than she is and 10, 10 pounds smaller than she is, right? <laughs> so, so it's like, if you're using social media to not feel good enough, you will find it. And if you are using social media to educate yourself and feel more powerful, you will find it, right? I realized that there were a lot of things about Native American culture I didn't understand. So what I did was I started following a lot of Native American um, Instagram sites so that I could hear a lot of the commentary, a lot of the history from people who were well-known that I was seeing pop up on certain news shows and things like that, right? And so that allowed me to be able to give a more whole integrated story with the election, everybody talked about what um, Spanish speakers did in Nevada and absolute respect. A lot of Native Americans kick some serious butt in Nevada as well, <laughs> right? And so when you forget the indigenous populations, then what ends up happening is they don't get a voice at the table. And so my, my effort, my hope is that I will not exclude groups unintentionally. And so what I did was I, I used social media for that, right? I didn't know a lot about Filipino history. Guess what? You can follow a site on Filipino history. <laughs> and then you can get little snippets and learn stuff and then go, oh, damn, I didn't know they were working with the Black Panther Party to do that, you know? And then you go like, oh, I see, I see you, I see you. <laughs> so you're like learning stuff. And then what happens is when you're voting, you understand that you're voting for everyone. It's not a zero sum game. Zero sum game says when you win, I lose. And that is really what we've been teaching you is zero sum game. Okay. A lot of, um, I've noticed even from like what I see, what I do, when we go on Instagram or Snapchat, a lot of the things we see is not, um, it's not like what's happening in movements. Not, it's more of like, <laughs> this person has stretch marks like on you know or <laughs> yeah or like body like a person's body or had to lose weight in an unhealthy way um when I got older and my school taught me like that's not right that's not this um now because we have TikTok I see a lot of like people around my age that do things unhealthy mm -hmm. with themselves and that connects to their mindset that it becomes unhealthy also. Yeah. Or I see I see that with no matter like any generation, age or whatever. Um, do you think social media plays a big part with like um, how people see themselves like by like physically and mentally? So again, it's, it's kind of, um, here's the curiosity thing. Does the social media do it? or do you look for what validates what you're thinking, right? And an example of that would be if, if I say something to someone about, hey, the next time you do that thing, you think you could um, it, uh, take the bottle top off first because sometimes it'll splash out, right? I think I've checked all my words. I think that I'm saying you didn't do this wrong on purpose. I think, hey, next time, you know, I think I'm checking my tone. If I am thinking negative thoughts about myself though, what I hear is, you told me I was stupid because I did it this way this time. And that's what social media does. 
if I already think that I am worthless, if I already think I'm not good enough, then I look for an experience to validate that. And so that is a very different thing than when you say, hey, I wonder if there is somebody um, on social media that, um, that purposely is always promoting people who have normal body size and projecting that as beautiful, right? Let me go follow that person. I wonder if there's somebody who is always being able to break down the news so that I understand how they're trying to get me to dog get, get into dog whistle politics. Do you know what that is? Dog whistle politics is when you actually use stereotypes to have you um, fear a group. Yeah, and like uh, doing the election where many of them were like, totally. that's what Trump did. <laughs> that's Everything it. Trump did. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and so when you start understanding that that's what's happening you know that's that line that Denzel Washington speaks for Malcolm X in the Malcolm X movie you've been bamboozled <laughs> you've been hoodwinked right and so that's the whole thing is you're less hoodwinked because you now understand oh normal people look like this all people look like this you just have a computer that makes her not look like this you know when you're following Zendaya and Zendaya will actually show you the pictures. Look what they did to me. Look what they did to me. That's who you want to follow. People who are truth tellers. And then it, social media doesn't do that. But if you're already thinking that, you are just looking to validate how badly you feel about yourself. And that's why you can never, never love someone enough to love themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel like a lot of times people get scared to prove like it's them, like it's the stereotype thing where you talked about if someone is like, that's not true about those horrible stereotypes, they feel bad about themselves that they even thought about it. And I think they become very defensive. And I feel like when we called out Donald Trump for his racism, a lot of people did change their mind but they get defensive of them supporting that person because yes. they voted for him in 2016 and they changed their mind they get defensive or sad what they did yeah and I feel like social media a lot of times what you search up comes up so if you search up about body positive everything those things will come up on your yeah. feed and stuff <laughs> they do. But sometimes it happens the opposite social media like you want body positive they give you something that's not body positive and it makes you rethink and stuff mm -hmm. I've seen accounts that literally tell people to starve themselves to lose oh, totally. weight totally when you like that's horrible you're not supposed to do that especially now that we have cancel culture mm -hmm. people are like that's horrible don't do that and then they get defensive because why are you canceling me or mm -hmm. my own opinion or stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like, or I hear from people that I work with that, um, you know, nowadays there's more racism or something, but I feel like it's just shown a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and where you're smarter. You're yes. smarter. Yeah, so there's because, stuff you wouldn't have known before. You, before you would have just watched a show like, you know, what is it, Seinfeld, and been like, oh, it's just a show about nothing. 
I'm never, I'm not going to say the fact that you're in New York City and not one Puerto Rican, huh? Really? <laughs> not one. <laughs> Walking down the street. No Dominicans, really? <laughs> Where'd you put the Italians? What? <laughs> you know, it's like, how is it possible that you have this show? It's like, but that's the stuff that happens like when you're smarter and you're smarter. That's how you can see it now. I was going to, um, Sasha has a question. Oh, oh sorry. Go I was going to comment like, you know, um, what Donia was talking about, how like um, sometimes, you know, I heard a comment, somebody said, it was like, let's make Instagram more personal again. I feel like it's a competition now. A lot of people, even if you're a nobody living here in San Francisco, I'm talking about my friends, okay, <laughs> like people that I know. And they're like, I mean, I was just talking about it this morning and they're like, oh, like, yeah, the feed has been lacking lately. I'm like, this is just, it's honestly like that picture was more like it was better than my pictures that I would post you know what I mean and I'm like what do yeah. you say about my pictures yeah like they're blurry because I have an iPhone 8 like what do you mean what do you have to say so and then they also have like the Kardashians you know Instagram pushes the Kardashians even if you're trying to do the right thing and like be all self-love and, and it's fun and it's good but like Instagram will sabotage you yeah. and they'll and they'll post Kylie and all that kind of stuff and like I think that's what's hard especially on the like younger generation mm -hmm. which Donia mentioned about TikTok because TikTok you know once you're in there once you're like on a little reel or a feed you know mm -hmm. everything is connected It'll, yeah and you it's hard to click off like it's really yeah. hard but you so. know there is the button right like because sometimes uh like a candace owen will pop into my feed so i don't know if you know who candace Owen. okay yeah but <laughs> so what i do is <laughs> i will actually click the top and i'll say don't show me things like this yeah and that changes the algorithm right, right. so for most part, if I'm following things that are a lot of social justice, a lot of history of certain groups and everything, and then um, I'm following Black-owned businesses, you know, Native American business, like if I'm doing all that and then somehow something squeaks in, I go unfollow, don't show me this, hide stuff like this, this is not, you know, and that, and then I'll notice I won't see it for a, like a really long time until somehow she creeps in because maybe like her thing with Cardi B recently and then it'd be like oh no no don't show me nothing like that no <laughs> like I just I just want to know what the beef was I'm good <laughs> like you know or, so you, <laughs> you know so go ahead I see that a lot where sometimes you are educating yourself about a topic <laughs> And then you swipe down and it's like someone arguing the opposite. Yeah. And I feel like it gets you really mad that people think like that. I get mad when I, I see people think like that. And sometimes I like think for myself, like, why do they think like that? Yeah. Like, I want to go to their head and be like, why do you think like that? Right. Like, what makes you think, oh, my tax is not going to pay for your health care. Yeah. Like. My are you, are you, you are. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't recognize that. I'm like, sorry. go ahead. Just right after, right after what you call. Okay, go ahead. I'm so sorry. <laughs> go finish. I, I see that a lot. And then I feel like it brings a lot of anger between both sides just That's because right. of social media. Nobody That's listens right. to each other. 
because Zuckerberg makes money off of that conflict. <laughs> That's why. Right. So, so as long as, and this is what I mean about understanding the history behind things, right? I'll, I'll geek out to the history because then I understand, oh, he makes more money off of conflict than he does off of love and peace. So I get that. So now I know why you want to show me this. And, you know, if you watch things like Miss America, which has, you know, it's like a kind of documentary on Shafley. And I don't know if you know who Shafley was, but she was a woman who opposed the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah, just because, and what you start to see, just to answer your question, what you start to see is why she did it has a lot to do with her wanting to have some sort of voice, some sort of power. And so what she couldn't gain that power within the field of pro ERA. So she opposed it because it gave her a platform, even though everything she did in her life was antithetical. <laughs> To what she was promoting it's like honey you have a law degree what are you talking about like it's like what do you mean you're anti-era so it's like if you look at the whole picture what ends up happening is you see it you start to see it as an emotional issue the more anxious you are the more rigid you are the more you need to deflect because you can't take responsibility for what's happening so you blame someone else that's all that is that's politics it's it's degrees of anxiety right i got you got you <laughs> i just wanted a quick comment a quick comment nothing too long okay i remember when we were talking like about grades and this is what the student needs to hear another thing they needed to hear was grades don't matter for shit like nothing. they do not determine your intelligence they right. just determine how much effort you're willing to put in school and yeah. that's not really a bad thing if you don't want to put effort in school nobody does like shit yeah. and, and I I will, i'll even challenge you on the effort because if I, if I have a political stance in my paper that is against the teacher's <laughs> political stance, then it's not my effort. It's that I disagree. Does that make sense? True, yeah. So I, but, I want you to see grades don't define you at all. <laughs> they don't define you at all. Like, let it go. Any more than the car you're driving does, right? <laughs> Any more than your bank account or the house you live in. You know, none of it defines you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. Going. <laughs> All right. I want to thank you so much, Doctor L. We are running. Um, we're running pretty close to time, so I just want to ask one quick question. If anyone wanted to find out more about you or ever contact you, do you have any, um, you know, places for that? <laughs> yeah. So any yeah. social media for that? Got it. It's yeah. So on Twitter and on Instagram, I am the teen doc. Yeah. That's All right. it. Yeah. Thank and I, you. I'm sure there'll be no weight loss things on my feet. So <laughs> that's good. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. O. Thank you everyone else for speaking about experiences and ask questions. And just thank you guys so much for um, tuning in this episode and we'll see you guys all next episode. Don't Thank tell you. anybody I pissed my pants. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you just told everyone. Everyone that's listening.